Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Bull. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilizing a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. This is Dirt Radio. Hello. I'm John Langer. Dirt Radio is broadcasting on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, where sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. So say you're one of those fortunate enough to have a regular and steady job, and say you're contributing to a super fund regularly, and you're building up quite a nest egg for some time in the future. But where does the money that you contribute actually go? That's a question perhaps not enough people are asking. But that's a question a broad-based campaign called Market Forces thinks is critical for a future that nurtures the environment rather than destroys it. Julian Vincent is the executive director of Market Forces, and I spoke to him last week. Just to start us off, tell us about Market Forces. What is it and what does it do? Sure. So Market Forces is an affiliate project of Friends of the Earth Australia. So um, clearly our our work is around environmental advocacy. Uh, But the real focus of of what we do is on the role of financial institutions and corporations. And we're here to work with others to direct finance and investment away from activities that damage the environment and into those that protect and enhance it. So an obvious example will be trying to get policies and and changes in behaviour from banks and investors that don't fund to not fund fossil fuels and instead uh, put that money into renewable energy to replace fossil fuels. Now, Market Forces is committed to six key areas of major campaign work. To get a bit of an overview of your work and the scope of your work, we take each of those areas of campaign work in turn, and you can give, maybe give us a bit of a sense of what's involved. Let's start with the banks. You've just mentioned the banks. What sort of approach has Market Forces been taking when targeting the big four banks in Australia? Well, when we first arrived on the scene, um, the, the, the gap that really needed to be filled was some, some constant uh, pressure from outside the banks to to get them to change and to raise some pressure from customer bases and, and the broader general public. So lots of conversations obviously happen among boardroom tables and things like that. But what really wasn't happening was an active and an informed uh, community base knowing what the banks were actually putting their money into and calling on the banks to change their behaviour. So a lot of our work was involving researching what banks were lending to you know, the Australian big four banks play a critical role in in the you know in most major industries actually in fossil fuels you'll find them in 75% of all of the deals for for fossil fuel projects in Australia so you know and these are the banks that are using our money to to make those investments so you know we wanted to inform and educate the community and then help them become more active um, and exert that uh, influence that they have and probably don't feel on a regular basis, but collectively we all have agency over how um, financial institutions use our money. So, you know, that's involved a lot of material put on the website and put out in the media. Um, And then 
getting people to really engage with their bank and tell them what they want. Um, and that's built up to you know, large scale events where many hundreds or thousands of people have uh, divested from their bank at any one time. Um, and as that has grown, we've had an increasing level of dialogue within the banks as well. And so, you know, we're kind of doing a little bit of everything where we're trying to make sure that this issue is a, a hot one in terms of the, you know, on the, on the bank's radar and needs to be taken seriously, but also be there to discuss, you know, what, what possible remedies and solutions the banks can come up with. And have you actually been in touch with the banks themselves? Are you talking to people in the banks about these issues? Yeah, we do. We, we've talked quite frequently over the years to the banks, you know, and that's from people at the sustainability level up to executives and management and, and even board members at times. So, you know, for whatever reason, if they're trying to just get us off their back or they're you know, really interested in taking the issue seriously, um, we do get that dialogue. And I think that's that's very important as well because, you know, let's face it, there's probably a lot of people even within the banks that want the same kind of outcomes as we do. When you, when you have the vast majority of Australians wanting much stronger action on climate change and, and a, a rapid phase out of, um, of uh, polluting, say, coal and gas um, power, then it won't be a surprise that if the general community thinks that, a lot of those people will work at major companies like banks um, and other, and other financiers. So, you know, there's plenty to, to work with. And, and a lot of the support we've had over the years has been from people working within the banks who have really tried to push that agenda internally. And let's, let's uh, move on to super funds because that's really the second area of focus for market forces campaign work. Tell us about what's been going on in that sphere. Yeah, I mean, super is critically important. We don't think about it anywhere near as much as we should because you know, um, it's super and it's it, on the face of it, it can be a little bit dull. But I mean, in the reality, it's one of the biggest forced investments that any person is going to need to make throughout their life. So where that money goes is usually up to the decision making of, of people working for you know, the investment teams at major super funds. And if they don't know better, they're going to probably expose your retirement savings and our collective retirement savings to companies that are delivering a future that is not really fit to retire into in terms of um, climate change. So similarly, you know, our work has been, our work has involved the research and, and putting into the public domain information on what super funds are actually investing our money in. And then giving people the, the tools and the ability to uh, tell their super fund what they want. Um, many of them have changed funds and, and moved to a fund that doesn't invest in fossil fuels. Um, and increasingly, you know, this year, for instance, we've seen uh, three funds. We've seen Hester, Aware Super and, um, and Unisuper say they're going to dump fossil fuel companies, uh, well, thermal coal companies. So it's not the full spectrum of fossil fuel companies that we want. But, you know, we're starting to get these policy changes that mean not only they're going to sell out of companies like Whitehaven Coal and New Hope Coal, um, they're going to stay out. And that's really important too. And, you know, we need to take those wins and generate momentum for that. So it just becomes normal across the sector. And those exclusions start spreading out more than just the worst of the worst, but there's uh, many more companies in the Australian um, index of, of, uh, of companies like the ASX 200 that, you know, their business model 
it's consistent with the absolute failure of the Paris Agreement. So it's not just the the, the pure play fossil fuel, uh, the, sorry, the pure play thermal coal companies. There's a lot of companies who's either trying to expand the scale of fossil fuels or just have a base in their 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 plans on scenarios that are consistent with like three or four degrees of global warming. And are you finding people who have super? Uh, are they becoming much more aware of 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 their where their funds are going? Is that part of um, not just your campaign, but a, a broader kind of consciousness raising that's going across the community? Um, I think so. I wouldn't say it's dramatically increasing. Probably the biggest gains we had in terms of awareness was early on in the campaigns when we first started to put this information out to the world. There's still a big issue in Australia with uh, transparency and many super funds, in fact, the vast majority of super funds disclose very little of their investments. So they might disclose their top you know, 20 companies that they hold. But really, that's out of a, of a universe of companies that include probably several thousand. Um, and that's you know, before we start thinking about in investments in infrastructure and, and property and, and other kinds of investments. And so beyond just companies. So we've still got a big issue. And, and it's one of the really absurd things about, um, about this industry that it's it's man, it's supposed to be managed in the best interest of its members, but members don't even get to know where their money's invested a lot of the time. So, you know, we've been working hard to push back against that. And I think that there's been a general increase in awareness of people's retirement savings being um, exposed or of pretty safe assumptions that they're exposed to fossil fuels when investors just invest uh, in the entire index. So they'll pick up anything that is a, a fossil fuel company within the, within the ASX 200. Um, that hasn't grown so much, but fortunately what matters most is the, uh, the, the, the increase in exclusions of companies like Whitehaven and New Hope Coal that, you know, if they get their way, if they pursue their business plans, it's absolute um, climate catastrophe. Each year, the Australian government gives millions of dollars in subsidies to the fossil fuel industries. And this is also an area market forces campaigns around. How would this connect to the so-called post-COVID gas-led recovery being spruiked by the Morrison government? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of issues within that. So, you know, a lot of the subsidies that we're, that, that you mentioned in that, in that total, um, they're just being run through the tax system so these subsidies are per annum being either handed out or reimbursed to the users or producers of fossil fuels but then on top of that is what you're describing which is you know you've got this um, national covid coordination commission who are made up largely by um, current or former fossil fuel industry executives and, and it's no surprise that they're there to spruik gas and you know that was going to be pretty obvious back in, I think it was March when it was set up, and that's what we've seen in the last month or so. Uh, this is just what happens when projects that are not commercial um, are lobbied for by powerful industry groups. You know, you you've got proposals on the table for gas pipelines that have been um, already assessed and confirmed to be. Uh, not commercial projects that um, the government now wants to try and push through and throw public money at. And we've seen this before with, with Adani as well, where no, no, um, 
external financier was going to come into that project. And so the government tried to throw a billion dollars of taxpayers' money at it. Um, this is, you know, politics ruling over any kind of sound, rational economics or finance um, and being distorted by the, the donors and the, the loudest voices. I'm speaking with Julian Vincent. He's the executive director of Market Forces. More after this. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. Now, we often think of banks as big players in financing fossil fuel industries, and we, we, you just talked about this. They do spend a lot of time financing projects, but we don't hear much about insurance. And this is another area that Market Forces campaigns around. Why insurance? Well, why insurance? Because everything that we do is insured. Um, we step out of our homes and go to work and, and are at work for those of us who do go to work and physically these days. Um, but, you know, all of our, all of our actions have a degree of insurance pretty much. Um, and the same goes for fossil fuel companies. You can't build a, a, a coal mine or a pipeline or a power station or transmission lines without, and, and operate that without insurance. So if you can't get insurance, you can't run your project or build it in the first place. So, um, there's been a big campaign around the world trying to get insurers uh, and reinsurers who are, without wanting to complicate things, that's where insurers go to get insurance, um, to try and get them excluding fossil fuels as well. And you know, that's come along in leaps and bounds, and including in Australia, where all three of Australia's general insurers, which are IAG, QBE and Suncorp, have committed to being out of uh, thermal coal by 2030 or sooner. That's um, that's on their underwriting or their insuring. So what that means is there will be no insurance exposure to thermal coal by 2030 or much sooner. In, in the case of IAG and um, Suncorp, it's a lot sooner. And then on top of that, um, Suncorp this year said it was going to uh, phase out its underwriting of oil and gas extraction by 2025. So that just basically means not insuring any new oil and gas extraction and letting its its book of insurance to the sector uh, run down over the next five years. Um, so these are really quite positive strides. And, you know, if we can get, basically, if you could replicate that throughout the rest of the insurance sector globally, we'd see the fossil fuel industry disappear extremely quickly. And, you know, it would be compelled and required to be replaced with renewables a lot faster than we're currently doing. Now, another area that I, I would like to explore, which is also part of your brief, as it were, your campaign brief, is shareholder action. And that's been a very important part of your agenda as well. And I understand that you've 
you've made some fair, fairly good inroads in that, in, in that area. What's involved in that and what are some of the outcomes? Well, so uh, in Australia, it's a relatively large number of people proportionally have owned their own shares. Um, you know, when you own your own shares, that's, that's also a, a, a ticket to have a say in, in, you know, what the company does and to have a, a you know, express an opinion and, and, you know, you've got a voice there. Um, a lot of what we've done and, you know, like I said before, with, with staff of, of major companies, you know, if most of the Australian population um, wants to see much stronger action on climate change, it wouldn't be any surprise that many people who own shares want to see greater, strong, greater um, shareholder action. A lot of them have come to us using our website to, um, to get help in terms of how they can express their opinion a lot more. So we work with shareholders and sometimes help them get their themselves or their or a proxy for them into an annual general meeting of a company where they can hold directors accountable for the risks that you know, uh, either climate risks or other kind of risks that might be environmentally, socially um, related. Uh, we can hold them accountable at their annual general meetings. And, you know, that can escalate to things like shareholder proposals where, you know, if a hundred or more shareholders come together on a particular issue, they can put uh, an agenda on the, the meeting of the annual general meeting. Um, and, and that gets voted on. And that's really important because when that happens, it doesn't just involve a few mum and dad shareholders. It's, it's a resolution that's put to all investors to vote on. And so then that brings back the super funds that we were talking about before, because they'll be invested in, in a company. So if 100 shareholders decide they want to try and they want to ask the company to produce targets on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, they can put that up. But then all of the big super funds, the multi-billion dollar um, fund managers uh, that have custody of our retirement savings, they need to have a think about, well, do we vote for this or not? Um, what do we say to the company? What are our expectations of the company? So it's, it's quite an impressive way of leveraging the billions of dollars invested in many of the companies that need to shift their behavior. Now, the Adani coal mine and rail project has been a considerable campaign uh, focus for market forces over the years. How has this side of your campaign been going over the past, I don't know, six months or eight months? And uh, apparently there's been some recent developments that have been announced uh, from Adani. Well, the recent developments are uh, a lot to do with rebranding. Um, we've seen them change the name of the Abbott Point uh, coal export terminal to North Queensland export terminal. They're trying to scrub the word coal off this project wherever they can, including on the website that I think it doesn't really mention coal, even though all of this formerly known as Abbott Point um, export terminal, all it does is export coal. Uh, so that's quite interesting. And the other thing they've done is uh, Adani's created a new company called the Bowen Rail Company. Uh, again, doesn't have the Adani name on it. In fact, it shows you just how toxic the Adani name is when even Adani doesn't want to use it. So uh, the, the company that's been created has, is really with the intention of hauling the coal from the mine site to the port. It's a sign that they've been, they've failed to find a, uh, an external uh, coal haulage company. So normally they would go to someone big like Horizon or Pacific National. It looks like they've not been able to do that and they're going to have to haul the coal themselves. 
But really what this means is a couple of years ago when they said they're going to finance the project themselves, that means they couldn't get anyone outside of Adani to stump up the money. And now it looks like they're going to have to do this with a lot of even just the services to the project. So all of this means it's a lot more complicated. It's going to be a lot more costly. Um, and in the meantime, the number of companies who won't work with Adani or who won't um, who won't finance Adani uh, has escalated to I think it's now eighty five. I mean, I, I I see at least one or two every week that join this list. And and again, back back to the insurance conversation, a lot of them are insurers. So I think this is a really important message for anyone who's trying to make sense of where the Adani campaign is at. Because let's face it, there is there's trucks on site, there's works being done, but at the same time, every week, there's another insurance company or, or several insurance companies that say, we're not going to renew insurance or we're not going to provide insurance to, to Adani for either the mine or the rail or, or any part of this um, supply chain. And there comes a time where they just run out of insurers. So you know, that's why the campaign is still going really strong. And over the last six to eight months, I think there's been another 20 or so companies that have been added to that list that have ruled out working with Adani. Now, just to uh, finish up, what would you say market forces was facing in terms of the most pressing issues to be addressed over the coming months, hopefully when the COVID crisis eventually lifts? What, what are you looking for and looking at in, over the next little while? I mean, COVID has given us an opportunity that we didn't think we would have and we didn't certainly didn't want to get this opportunity in this way but i mean the opportunity is to reset the trajectory of emissions um, emissions will drop significantly in 2020 and you know they're dropping for the the wrong reasons they're dropping because you know a pandemic has forced um economies to to, to stall um but what that has done is force fossil fuel companies and, and oil and gas companies in particular that are trying to develop new fields um, and put new infrastructure in place to delay or, or some shelve and even scrap sometimes uh, plans for new infrastructure. I mean, we're beyond the point where we can be building any new fossil fuel infrastructure that could be considered compatible with the, with the Paris Agreement. So the opportunity that's been created is that there's just been this gap placed between the expansion plans of the fossil fuel industry and, and their immediacy. And this needs to be a permanent transition point. So, you know, like I say, we, we, we didn't want the emissions reductions to happen because of the way they're happening. We can choose to reduce emissions continuously in this way through changing policies and behavior that actually create more opportunities for employment and for economic development whilst building the renewable sector much rap more rapidly to replace fossil fuels. But really it's gonna mean a, a, you know, an order of magnitude more, more intent and more attention and more pressure and more vocal campaigning and activism and, and opposition to what's really a very small number of companies that, you know, we're not talking about having to chuck the entire economy out the window, there's about 21, 22 companies in the top 200 whose business models rely on the failure of the Paris Agreement. 
and it's a, it's a matter of stopping that small number of companies from doing this disproportionately massive amount of harm that they could. And we've all got an opportunity to do that, whether it's through changes in government policy or, or not putting up with the incremental small progress that we're getting out of banks and super funds. And like I said before, turning some of those wins that we've had from the banks and, and from super in the, getting out of thermal coal to getting out of any company that has business plans that are consistent with the failure of Paris. You know, this is a, a trajectory that we can continue if we choose to, but it just means amputating this uh, festering gangrenous part of the economy uh, that wants to hold us back and drive us towards climate catastrophe. Finally, if people are listening and they want to find out more about market forces and your campaigns, where should they go? The, the website is marketforces.org.au. And assuming we've done our job well in terms of arranging the website, then hopefully uh, that just the homepage is a good landing point for any of the, the work that we've discussed today, um, all the different aspects of the campaigns. And you know, there you can find all the information that we've put out about what our, the custodians of our money are, are actually investing that money in, uh, as well as take action to change their behaviour, um, which still needs, you know, a lot of changing. The last seven years or so have shown that, you know, community pressure does work and it's just a matter of how much pressure we can apply now and, and how vocal we can be in getting that change out of, out of financial institutions. That was Julian Vincent and he's the Director of Market Forces. And as he said, if you want to learn more or get involved in one of their campaigns or want to find out about whether your super fund invests in fossil fuels, check out their website at marketforces.org.au. That's all from Dirt Radio this week. Back again next Tuesday at 9.30. Let's go out with this track from Barrett Strong.